Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beanless and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Tonight, we have with us a tennis media public relations veteran. This guest has worked for the ATP Tour and for ESPN. He's the current media director for the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati and is also the current media director for the U.S. Men's Clay Court Championships in Houston. He is the president and founder of Holter Media. Please welcome to the pod, Pete Holterman. Pete, thank you so much for uh, doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so before we kind of go into some of uh, your awesome experiences, kind of give us a background. Growing up, were you a big-time sports fan, big-time tennis fan? How did, uh, how did your love of sports and, and how did this all get started? Yeah, massive sports fan. I uh, grew up in Milwaukee and uh, you know, kind of followed all sports, but in particular uh, with my parents who were Marquette alums, they had season tickets to Marquette basketball. So I spent a lot of time going to Marquette games as a kid and you know, at the same time was always outside playing something in the yard. And it was pretty quick to the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to actually probably make it as the athlete. Uh, but going to those games, kind of wide-eyed, looking around, seeing, wait a minute, who are these guys who get to like walk underneath the bleachers where the players are going? Are they even like on the court? What, who are they? What do they do? Um, and, and just opened my eyes to the fact there was life in sports without actually being the athlete. And uh, that carried on to just following everything else, and in particular on the media side, you know, love growing up listening to baseball games, Bob Euchre on the radio in Milwaukee, who's amazingly still doing it, doing a great job at at his age now. Um, I just knew that there was a whole lot of stuff happening around sports, and in particular on the media side, you know, everybody everybody in my family, I'm the youngest of five, and we all had the newspaper route. Uh, And so I caught the journalism bug as well through both of those experiences. And so that what could I make out of it, of a sports journalism type thing, was clearly my calling early on, and, and that's been fortunate to, to play out in my professional career now. So when you went to college, and you went to Xavier, right? I did go to Xavier in Ohio, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you went to Xavier, was this something that you knew you wanted to concentrate your studies on, or did you study something else completely? Yeah, actually 100% was what I was pursuing, and it was interesting because I looked uh, when I was making my college decision, I was looking at a lot of the traditional journalism schools, Northwestern, Missouri, Syracuse, and considered them, uh, but then for a variety of reasons, wasn't 100% sure and, and didn't know exactly. Some of them were really competitive programs, and I was a little gun-shy, and actually knew of Xavier from being in the MCC with Marquette and knew Marquette very well, went to Marquette University High School and had a lot of familiarity with Marquette and looked at Xavier as, well, Marquette, but in a different city. Right. And while they didn't have necessarily journalism school, they had a communications program, but they also had a newspaper. And so I think the day or maybe the day after I moved in to the freshman dorm, I walked over to the student newspaper and said, hey, guys, I'd I'd like to write. And I think it actually, for me, it worked out well. to not necessarily be in a traditional classroom journalism setting, but instead just to go get the real-world experience. I mean, to me, that's as valuable as anything. And so uh, they put me, they're like, ooh, fresh blood. They put me on the student government beat immediately as a freshman. 
which was an awesome experience because I got to know so many people on campus. And then transitioned as a sophomore to be assistant sports editor, and then my final two years was sports editor. And in those years, the opportunity to cover the basketball team, Skip Prosser was the coach, and he was wonderful and really welcoming. Uh, He certainly put me in my place and wasn't shy about ribbing me, (laughs) but also was patient and took my questions and allowed me to come to practice. And this was back in the in the old days when it, since he was a two-newspaper town, and I would sit at practice next to the Cincinnati Inquirer writer and the Cincinnati Post writer. And so that was tremendous to just be around them and learn them and then see what they got. And we were a, daily, or a weekly paper at, at Xavier, so it wasn't like I needed to get a lot of content. But to sit next to those guys and see this is how they're operating, this is the content that they're getting and the stories that they're writing off of it was a tremendous learning experience. And then the connection... I wound up doing some stringing for those papers and getting, you know, hey, come down Friday night and answer the phones when the high school football coach is calling the scores. Then, okay, can you go out and cover this high school game? Hey, there's a Miami Red Hawks story. Can you drive up to Oxford and cover that? And then eventually covered a minor league basketball team as kind of the beat writer as a freelancer for the Cincinnati Inquirer. So really got a lot of experience through my college career uh, on just, actually being in the field doing the job. And then you continued with your career at your alma mater. It wasn't just working for Xavier as a student, right? I did. I, so the first couple of years out of school, I was doing a lot of freelance writing, and it, there was a fanzine, if you'll call it, about Xavier basketball. Basketball's the thing at Xavier. They got rid of football in 1973. And so there was a 16-page weekly publication we put out about Xavier basketball with the old play-by-play announcer as kind of our marquee columnist. So I edited that uh, for a couple years while also doing a lot of that freelance work in town. And eventually an opening came up in the sports information office. So I went back to Xavier and worked in the SID office uh, for four years and primarily covered women's basketball, but it was a small department. We had 15 sports and two full-time people plus a graduate assistant. So we didn't have a ton of staffing, so got involved in everything. And that was the, the women's basketball side. That was one of their best seasons in history. They went to the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament, knocking off Tennessee in the Sweet 16. And then was there for some of the best men's teams, or one of the best men's teams that also had an Elite Eight run. Uh, and that was when David West won a few National Player of the Year honors. Yep. So to be around that campaign and be a part of that was pretty fantastic as well. Awesome. So let's kind of shift gears towards um, the tennis arena because shortly thereafter you worked for the ATP and then uh, ESPN as well. Kind of talk about how that came about and uh, I don't know, there are some stories or experiences working at both those networks. The tennis thing really was just a fortunate scheduling quirk because I had to come back early one summer to Cincinnati and I, I was going home to Milwaukee. I still had a, a pretty good job in Milwaukee uh, working at a grocery store where I could pick up basically all the hours I wanted. And so I was spending my summers back home and even winter break at that grocery store just getting a nice paycheck and had to come back to Cincinnati, though, early and looked at it and said, well, I'd like to do something while I'm back here. The Reds have a long season. I'm not going to be here for the whole season. The Bengals season conflicts with Xavier basketball, so I don't really want to do that. 
what else could I do to get some experience? And literally a cold call to the PR director of the Cincinnati tournament, which at the time was the Thriftway ATP Championship, yep. and called him up and said, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a PR student down at Xavier. We'd like to get experience. Is there anything I can do to help out? And he said, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we drive on volunteer help and um, always looking for people. We'd love to have you come out. Uh, and, and actually, the first thing I ever did in the sport of tennis was to sit courtside and turn on and off the Rado court display of the time of the match <laughs> and then hit reset to start the new match. <laughs> that was the entirety of my introduction into tennis. Um, but hit it off with that PR director and, and said, hey, if you can come back next year, we'd love to have you. So he and I developed a pretty good rapport. And even then when I was working as a freelancer, I did my best to squeeze out the time to go and, and get involved in the tennis tournament in August. And the timing worked out pretty well, even when I was working at Xavier, because that was really just when, you know, soccer was coming on campus to start their preseason, but we weren't, you know, not being a football program, it wasn't like a crazy month in August. So I had the ability to step away and still stay involved with the tennis tournament. Sometimes maybe just going at night, but for sure on the weekends was free. And so, kept going to the tennis tournament, stayed active in that, and through that got to know some of the guys from the ATP, because back then Cincinnati was still just a, exclusively a men's tournament, and built some of those relationships such that when they had an opening, uh, I, I was able to throw my hat in the ring and was fortunate enough that they lured me to come to the ATP tour, and it was a great opportunity, and I did a media marketing role where working in the press room, helping the media and facilitating interview requests, but then also being that liaison between the tournament and the players and helping facilitate appearances. If a player was going to do a clinic with kids or a hospital visit or a sponsor visit, that job at the ATP, the role is to make those things happen and coordinate with the player or with the agent, but then also on the other side with the tournament to bring those players to those appearances. And Eventually, during my time at the ATP, they were looking for ways to get a little bit more involved in the Grand Slam. So they actually contacted ESPN and said, hey, if we could provide someone to help coordinate your interviews during the majors, would you be interested? And ESPN said, sure thing. So started to do that on top of what I was doing at the ATP. And it got hard. You know, it, it wound up being 25, 26 weeks on the road. Yeah. And that's really when I looked to transition out of that. Uh, but it was you know, unbelievable experience to be traveling the world. And you know, I was still in my 20s when I started at the ATP. And, you know, I, I was a great opportunity at Xavier and, and thrilled to be at Xavier University uh, and loving it, obviously, as my alma mater. But, you know, that was the, the days of the Atlantic 10 Conference. And so I was making a trip every February to only in New York to play St. Bonaventure. And uh, I, I actually had some really good friends at, at the Bonnies and not to disparage them, but... You know, when you're applying for a job with events in Tokyo and Paris and Australia, uh, <laughs> all through South America, compared to the Atlantic 10 schedule, I was like, hmm, this, this is intriguing, because I had already done those Atlantic 10 trips enough times where I was like, okay, I could break it up a little bit. Right. <laughs> that experience of the travel uh, was really awesome and, and very cool part of it, but did start to become a lot when you get to that 25, 26 weeks. That's a lot of time on the road, and that was even before I had a family. 
Got it. Now, is that one of the main reasons why you were thinking about maybe venturing off on your own? I mean, again, there's there's stability when you work for a company. You get the salary, you get the benefits. Um, was was that really a, a, a main impetus of you maybe doing maybe starting something on your own? Absolutely. The travel was just getting to be a lot, and the timing was really fortuitous. There were a couple things coming together in 2008 uh, where it just was a good opportunity, and that was with some tournaments where they were looking for some PR help or looking to make a change, and that lined up nicely for me to have some opportunities to transition immediately into working a couple tournaments. Plus, on the ESPN side, they were about to add the U.S. Open, which right. meant they had all four slams at the time, and that you know, that's another couple of weeks of work. So all those factors lined up pretty nicely for me. And it wasn't like I set out to, I'm going to form an agency or had some grand business plan. It was definitely a, okay, let's go back to this freelance thing. Like I did right out of college and just get what gigs I can and try to string it together and see how that goes and keep an eye open for anything else that may come up that, that could be permanent. And, as it turns out, was able to grow uh, Holter Media and build it into a little bit more of a, an agency now where I have a team working with me and uh, have added a few more clients and different clients and been able to be, so far, pretty successful with it. Oh, that's so great. So we, we, earlier, you know, in the intro, we mentioned Cincinnati. We've talked about that. I mentioned the Clay Court Championships in Houston. What other tennis events do you cover? Especially see 
the difference in when you do it in Madison Square Garden, you're in a venue that, that just understands events, and they do probably 500 events a year in Madison Square Garden. And there was one year we were there. We played on the Monday night. They had a concert Friday night, a St. John's basketball game Saturday morning, like noon, and then the Knicks played Saturday night, which is a totally different seating manifest. And then the Rangers played Sunday, and then the tennis was Monday. And and just to see how they flipped that venue all those times was incredible. To then go and host an event in London, you know, Sanford versus Agassiz in London, great event in Earl's Court where it was just a big like airplane hangar. We had to go in and build out the seating manifest and the video walls and starting from zero on that. And so it was just interesting to, to be involved with a project like that of that size and scope, but also see the different ways these things come together. And, and then you add in Hong Kong, where we were playing in a, in a velodrome. So we were trying to manage the seats in there without the ability to go over the velodrome. And, you know, it's just it's very cool experiences to, to do things like that. Yeah, for sure. And I know you also cover um, non-tennis sporting events as well. You want to highlight a few of those? Yeah, I've been fortunate to get involved with a few other things. Um, Did a couple open championship golf tournaments with ESPN, uh, and then have also done, um, through the people who were putting on the BNP Paribas Showdown, did a couple figure skating events, which was good timing, because when we were doing that, my daughter was actually into figure skating, so she thought it was pretty cool yeah First time i think she was like oh dad does something that's kind of neat so <laughs> um it was good to get involved with that and then try to stay active locally as well was part of the um media committee when they had the first and second round of the ncaa basketball tournament here in jacksonville last year and still have a soft spot for basketball and college basketball in particular i mean that was that was always special to be part of that especially march madness and uh it's been very strange to be home this March with the coronavirus situation and not be at a NCAA tournament site or a tennis tournament. It's, I don't know that as an adult I've ever actually been home in the month of March. So it's very different. <laughs> yeah, for the listeners, we're just timestamping this conversation. We're recording this um, in late March, and we're going to hope to release this sometime in April. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy time uh, for everyone, and the world is basically um, stopped. But hopefully we'll get through this sooner rather than later. Um, a couple, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned a lot of your highlights, and, and I know I was with you in, in Delray this past February. We had the Coco Golf Exhibition event, which I thought was a great, great starter for that tournament. Generally, the first Saturday night, um, you'll have like maybe a seniors event match, and that's it. Um, this was sold out. It was a great, great event. If you want to share, um, you know, your thoughts on that event, uh, along with maybe a few... Uh, one or two low lights, and maybe what you learn from one or two of those low lights. Well, I think that, you know, we mentioned briefly the coronavirus situation, and, you know, it's there's so much of this business that just you can't plan for. Um, and that's in particular when you get into kind of the broader event side where you just have to be ready for things. And there was a year in Cincinnati, we had our men's championship match end in a retirement, and it was... <laughs> You know, unfortunate to have it end in a retirement, but then more unfortunate that literally between the time it took for the two players to come to the net and shake hands, I'm sprinting down from the, the media workroom to get down to court because I'm like, oh, well, okay, we're going to have a trophy presentation. By the time I got out to the court, it was pouring rain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when you, what, what do we do now? You know, and 
I wouldn't even necessarily say that's a low light, but it's just a, a good example to me of how you just need that preparedness for whatever's going to come your way. Because you can do all the studying you want. You can sit there with the best teams in the world and talk about all the possible what ifs. And I guarantee you, you won't cover every single scenario. Yeah, There's just no chance. And so for me, that's a lot of it. It's just kind of being, being nimble and being able to react. And that was, you know, part of it with the, the Coco Golf exhibition at Delray. I mean, they did. They had a huge crowd that night. So it was a different situation than they're necessarily used to on the opening night of the tournament. So right. you just had to be able to see what was happening and figure out, okay, how do we best handle this? What's the appropriate course of action based on what's unfolding in front of you? And it's not something you can necessarily script out. It wanted to be in perfect weather, so I think there was a huge walk-up sale. They opened up some extra seats. It was all a win for everybody involved, I think. For sure. But you, you got to just kind of do all the preparation you can, but be ready to react and be nimble. Um, I think you kind of walked us through it just going through your story, um, how you got involved in this field. But, you know, I coach, at a, I coach at a high school here in the northern suburbs of Illinois. I coach part-time at a club, a lot of juniors. For those that want to kind of get into the sports field, in college and then beyond just a couple um you know a couple of tips on on how you want to try to try to prepare for this first start of a career in this uh crazy but cool field i think my story is 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 the thing i would preach is just try to get experience and there's no experience too small and there's no listen I, i i went out there to that tennis tournament not knowing a whole lot about tennis i mean i would pick up a racket once in a while in the park at home, or I think I might have taken a class or two, you know, summer week here and there. Um, but I wasn't a tennis fan. I wasn't a guy who could sit there and rattle off the tennis stats the way I could tell you the exact starting lineup of the Brewers that season and the stats of the Packer quarterbacks and, you know, Marquette basketball. I was a rabid fan of those things, and tennis was not something that I was really passionately following at the time but I, had, I looked at the schedule and said well this is a window of opportunity for me to try to get some experience and just made that cold call and it's hard I mean I got lucky that he picked up and, and returned my call and had something for me you know it, you don't necessarily always get those things to happen for you and it's very hard because a lot of these opportunities are a lot of people trying to get in and get them but that's why I think looking for any opportunity you can. It can be a high school tournament. Uh, it can be a marathon. Uh, when any college event that comes to town, it could be the NCAA basketball tournament, which is the big one. But you know, where, where I live in Jacksonville, there's always some a conference gymnastics meet is happening here, or there's a, a track and field event. Any of those things, there's always stuff happening in these local areas. And if you can get experience doing whatever and time when you're there we're losing you're breaking up a little bit you're breaking up a little bit there go ahead nope. yep I'm you're there down. yeah you're good <laughs> okay you want me to go backwards at all no 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 you're fine you're fine we're good we're good no i appreciate that um you know a, a couple things just from listening to you and and listening to others it's keep showing up Keep showing up and don't always worry about 
the next job. Do very, very well at what you're currently doing and those next jobs naturally find you is some advice that I've picked up from others, which uh, I think you'll you'll agree with as well, right? Well, I think the other aspect of that is you just keep your head up because it's an incredibly competitive field. I mean, I've never never had less than 120 resumes come in for anything I've hired for. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the volume thing. And so the that's long odds for even most qualified candidates. So you just got to keep positive, stay after it, and keep trying, keep doing new things, and, and network a little bit, too, yeah. you know? When, when I'm getting 120-plus resumes coming in, if someone, you know, my first course of action is usually to call some people I know, do you know anybody? Might right. Be a good fit for this. And it's going to be a little bit easier to just take that, smaller sample size and start there before getting into 120 others uh, and you know that networking is beneficial for people and part of that is just people thinking oh yeah I worked with this person who was really good and could be a good fit you know and that's from being around them so get that experience but stay positive because it is a hard hard industry especially now there's so many sport management programs which are it's great and a lot of them have built in good internship experiences where people are out there getting work in the field and those are all great opportunities and and there's nothing wrong with that approach but it's flooded the market and so for every one job there are probably a hundred plus people trying to get it it's very 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 competitive and there's going to be ones that you feel are the right one for you and you might not get a call back and you you just got to keep going you know when you're playing the tennis match, you're going to have your unforced errors. You're going to miss some shots. You got to keep playing. You got to keep playing the match. It's a long game, and it's the same thing with a job search. Just keep trying to get experience. Keep trying to meet people, and stay positive about it. Great advice. Great, great, great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And we're coming up around um, just shy of thirty minutes. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I do want to thank you. Um, this was great. I've had the privilege of getting to know you and, and work with you a little bit. And it's been awesome talking with you and awesome to have you on and, and sharing your experiences. And uh, where can people follow you, whether it's social media or your website? You want to share those? Sure thing, yeah. I'm Pete Holterman on Twitter, Peter Holterman on Instagram. Uh, Holter Media is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and also HolterMediaInc.com if you want to check out the website. Uh, and then I'll you know, hopefully be back out at some tennis tournaments very, very soon. Let's hope so. Let's let's really hope so. Thanks again, Pete. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat, and hopefully uh, some people learn a thing or two from me. Uh, and, and, you know, again, just keep after it. That's, that's the really the thing I'd say to take home with you. For sure. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Bye. So there you have it. Pete Holderman of Holter Media. He's a great, great guy and does such great work. Make sure to cover him. He gave you the sites uh, where you can follow him on social media along with his website. Um, you can hear this Courtside with Beelance and Tennis podcast, part of the Tennis Channel podcast network on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play, uh, basically anywhere you hear your podcast. Thanks again for listening. And again, as always, stay tuned for another guest coming up. Thanks. Bye.